Hello and welcome to Words of Wisdom, a podcast dedicated to reflecting on the wisdom of the Book of Proverbs. Your host is Dr. Jerry Weirwolf, who will share life-giving truth from Proverbs that will help us become wise and discerning. Wisdom is a journey, and we hope you will join us for this exciting adventure. In this episode, we're going to look at the second half of a four-line proverb, which we began to talk about in the previous episode. If you haven't listened to that episode, I recommend pausing here and listening to it before continuing on with this episode. It will help provide the necessary context in order to understand the second half of the proverb. I'm going to begin reading from the Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 12, but our focus in this episode will be on the second half in verses 14 and 15. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 12 through 15 says, A person of Belial, a man of wickedness, is one walking with a crooked mouth, winking with his eyes, signaling with his foot, instructing with his fingers. With perversions in his heart, he devises evil. At every moment, he sows strife. Therefore, his calamity will come suddenly. In an instant, he will be broken and there will be no remedy. Verse 14 continues the description of a person of Belial by saying that he has perversions in his heart. And furthermore, with these perversions, he devises evil, and in every moment, he sows strife. First, some people might misunderstand the word perversions, since in our modern culture, it often refers to like deviant and abnormal sexual behavior stemming from inappropriate sexual desires. However, the Hebrew word translated perversions refers to having a distorted attitude and perspective about life. Rather than having sound, wholesome thoughts which promote healthy relationships and society, a person with perversions seeks to harm and exploit other people by violating the well-being of individuals and the community. This meaning of perversions can also be seen in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 30, which uses the same Hebrew word in a similar context, where it says, The one who winks his eyes devises perversions, and the one who purses his lips brings evil to pass. The term perversions is quite a descriptive word to characterize the heart of a person of Belial. Their heart is all bent and twisted, and so their outlook on life is as well. And with their corrupted heart, they devise evil and at every moment they look to sow strife. This is important to understand because perversions in a person's heart do not simply refer to some issue in their mind, but it results in wicked, outward behavior in real life as they devise and commit evil acts and work to cause strife. Now, we must keep in mind, as I mentioned in the last episode, just because a person exhibits behavior similar to what is being ascribed to a person of Belial, that doesn't automatically mean that they are a person of Belial. What it does mean is that the person is aligning their actions with a person of Belial, and the more that they align their actions with such a character, the closer they move toward becoming one themselves. An example of someone with perversions in their heart would be the Grinch. Everyone probably knows the story of the Grinch by Dr. Seuss. The Grinch hates Christmas and hatches a plot to steal all the decorations and gifts from Whoville in order to prevent Christmas from coming. After stealthily sneaking into all the Who's houses and gathering everything up, the story goes, on their walls, 
he left nothing but hooks and some wire. And the one speck of food that he left in the house was a crumb that was even too small for a mouse. Then he did the same thing to the other who's houses, leaving crumbs much too small for the other who's mouses. It was quarter past dawn, all the who's still abed, all the who's still a snooze when he packed up his sled. Packed it up with their presents, their ribbons, the wrappings, the tags and the tinsel, the trimmings, the trappings. Three thousand feet up, up the side of Mount Crumpet, he rode with his load to the tip-top to dump it. Poo-poo to the who's, he was grinchishly humming. They're finding out now that no Christmas is coming. They're just waking up. I know just what they'll do. Their mouths will hang open a minute or two. Then the who's down in Whoville will all cry boo-hoo. What a sinister plot and malevolent intent. The Grinch wanted to hear the sadness and disappointment of the who's on Christmas morning. Moreover, to go along with this part of the story, is the famous song, You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. This song captures in picturesque terms the character of a person of Belial that the Grinch is portraying in the story. Specifically, in verses 4 and 5, they really seem to bring home this point quite well. Verse 4 says, You're a foul one, Mr. Grinch. You're a nasty, wasty skunk. Your heart is full of unwashed socks. Your soul is full of gunk, Mr. Grinch. The three words that best describe you are as follows, and I quote, stink, stank, stunk. And then verse 5, you're a rotter, Mr. Grinch. You're the king of sinful sots. Your heart's a dead tomato splotched with moldy purple spots, Mr. Grinch. Your soul is an appalling dump heap, overflowing with the most disgraceful assortment of deplorable rubbish imaginable, mangled up in tangled up knots. The Grinch truly was someone with perversions in his heart and intent on devising evil. And according to his malevolent plan, he was entirely successful in stealing everything from the Who's in order to destroy Christmas. But in the end, he had a change of heart and ended up returning all the belongings to the Who's. But that is much different than the ending that the proverb gives us. In verse 15, it says, Therefore, his calamity will come suddenly. In an instant, he will be broken, and there will be no remedy. Interesting. The proverb doesn't say that the person of Belial, whose wicked heart drives them to develop sinister and evil plots, will succeed, get rich, or become famous. Rather, the proverb poses a rather bleak outcome for these individuals. Calamity will come suddenly, and in an instant they will be broken, without any remedy. The expectation for such a wicked person is that they will experience calamity. This is similar to the modern expression, what goes around, comes around. Meaning that a a person will eventually experience the consequences of their actions. This coincides with one of the main motifs in the book of Proverbs which is that the world operates on a cause-and-effect mechanism. This, in essence, means that good comes to those who do good, and evil comes to those who do evil. Clearly, this is not an absolute universal rule for how the world works, since there are plenty of evil people who prosper because of their crimes. But there are also many people who do bad things and are punished 
and suffer because of their actions. The motivation in the book of Proverbs is to entice the reader to take a certain course or road in life that will lead to peace, safety, prosperity, and well-being. Thus, being an evil and wicked person, that is, a person of Belial, does not set you on that trajectory in life, but rather sends you down a road leading to calamity and ultimately death. Now, let's look at the last phrase of the proverb. It says, in an instant, he will be broken and there will be no remedy. This evokes a powerful imagery where all of a sudden, in a moment, the wicked person will be shattered and dashed to pieces with no hope of recovery. Potentially, an imagery that this could be describing would be something like the shattering and breaking apart of a ship when a wave suddenly throws it over and it crashes onto the rocks. Or perhaps the imagery could be taken to refer to the breaking of one's bones and body when they slip and they fall deep into a ravine onto jagged rocks. Regardless of the specific idea behind the phrase and the imagery, what it conveys is a state of immediate, irreparable damage and harm from the calamity. In order to illustrate this proverb, I want to tell you about Bernard Lawrence Madoff, commonly known as Bernie Madoff. Madoff was born in 1938 in Queens, New York, and he went on to study political science at the University of Alabama and then started to study law at Brooklyn Law School before turning his attention toward financial investments. Madoff and his wife, Ruth, launched a financial investment business called Bernie L. Madoff Investment Securities in 1960. And that company focused on penny stocks, which are stocks that have a a very low price share and are traded on an over-the-counter market. Madoff began to work his way into friendships with very wealthy and influential businessmen in New York and convinced them to sign on as investors. Through his initial success, he gained a reputation with additional deep-pocket investors and began to gain the reputation as the financial advisor for the rich and famous. Furthermore, Madoff's business developed a financial trading software program that was eventually adopted by the NASDAQ trading exchange. Madoff's contribution to the securities exchange industry and personal success in business earned him the place as chairman of the NASDAQ exchange in 1990. And by the mid-1990s, Madoff's brokerage firm was responsible for processing 10 to 15% of all the trades that were happening in the New York Stock Exchange. Madoff's success almost seemed to be too good to be true. He was a financial investment giant on Wall Street. He was so well-respected in the industry that he even was given the opportunity to serve for a time as the chairman of the board of directors of the National Association of Securities Dealers, which is a privately operated regulatory firm that oversees the activities of the securities industry. By the early 2000s, Madoff was on top of the world. His personal bank account was in the multi-millions, and he was one of the most highly sought-after and respected financial investors on Wall Street. But not everybody thought this way about Madoff. For example, in 2005, Harry Markopoulos, a financial analyst, came forward and presented evidence to the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, from a detailed investigation he did into the hedge fund that was used by Madoff's investment firm. But the SEC didn't take any action at that time against Madoff. 
But within a couple of years, the FBI and SEC would launch an investigation and discover Madoff's financial investment operations to be a complete fraud. It was in the midst of a global economic crisis in 2008 that a large number of investors wanted to cash out and close their investment accounts with Madoff's firm, a figure which approached around $7 billion. But there was no way Madoff would be able to pay the sum of the withdrawals because he didn't actually have the investors' money. Madoff had been running for nearly two decades the largest Ponzi scheme in history. He would attract investors and promise them unbelievably high returns on their investments. But when the investor signed on and transferred the money, Madoff just deposited it into his personal account at Chase Manhattan Bank. He would then pay fake returns to earlier investors using the money he obtained from newer investors. And all his financial reporting and trade statements to his clients were entirely fabricated and illusory. Madoff wasn't investing at all. He was just shifting money around to make it appear to his investors that their accounts were growing and earning the promised high dividends and interest. One of the strategies that allowed Madoff to continue his scheme for so long was through what are called feeder funds, which are management funds that have money bundled together from other investors and used in pooled investments within Madoff's investment business which earned him millions of dollars in transaction fees, but where individual investors often had no idea that their money was actually being entrusted to Madoff. Well, by the time Madoff's scheme had been uncovered, the losses of Madoff's investors were estimated to be over $50 billion. Madoff was arrested in 2008, and he was sentenced to a 150-year prison term in 2009, and he was ordered to repay nearly $170 billion in restitution. But of course, Madoff's personal assets couldn't even cover a single percent of that cost. And in Madoff's demise, he lived out his remaining years in prison until he died at the age of 82 on April 14th, 2021. Madoff's story reminds me of a passage in the prophet Jeremiah. In chapter 17 and in verse 11, it says, As the partridge that sits on eggs that do not hatch, so is the one who gets rich but by injustice. In the midst of his days, they will leave him, and in the end, he will be shown to be a fool. As a consequence of the perversions in his heart and the evil plots that he devised to defraud people and steal their money, calamity came suddenly upon Madoff and he was broken without any remedy. While this isn't necessarily the way that every person's life ends who exhibits the characteristics of a person of Belial, it certainly is probable because of justice. Nevertheless, the world is filled with individuals who live as a person of Belial to various degrees, but don't receive justice in this current life. But if it doesn't happen in this current life, justice is coming at the final judgment. And so all people who live as a person of Belial, have destruction as their future. A person whose life is characterized by evil deeds puts themselves on a road to death, from which there will come a point at which they will be broken in an instant, and from which there will be no return. This is the wisdom of the proverb. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Words of Wisdom podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be so appreciative if you would share this podcast with your friends. And if you have been blessed by this work, please consider supporting the podcast by clicking on the donation link in the description.